Hello Thrive. Or should I say, happy birthday to you. Awesome. I'm so glad to see you guys. After, after a year of weekly services, here we are. Congratulations, guys. Well, we've had some songs, we've had a skit. Let's have a story. You guys want to hear a story? I don't have any juice boxes or animal crackers, or, uh, but I do have a fireplace, if you're uh, so inclined. Um, <coughs> this is a story about a group of Christians. Yeah, it's a story about a group of Christians who love Jesus more than anything. It's a group about a story about a group of Christians that, that wanted nothing more um, than to spread the love of Christ and to spread his story. Um, but they had, they had a little baggage. Uh, as often happens with, with groups, you, you have things that you don't need anymore or things that you're not using. And so what they did was they sold what they didn't need. Um, they sold some property, and they used the proceeds from that property to start a new church. If you've been with us for a while, the story sounds really familiar, um, and I'll clue everybody else, and it's, it's kind of how we got started. But the thing is about my story is that it's not a new story at all. As a matter of fact, this has been happening in the church since it began. And when I say church, I mean capital C, church, since it all began. The story of Thrive actually parallels the story of the church in Acts. If you look with me, Acts 4, starting in verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And the next verse says this, With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now, what I want, I want you guys to know is that they didn't claim their possessions. I don't, I don't want you to get hung up on the language there, because um, a lot of people hear this and they're all oh, communism and that's you know, blah, 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 and I don't want to do it. It's not, it's not about that. It's actually a really, really important point. They did sell things that they had, things that they didn't use. As a matter of fact, when you read some of the commentaries, what it says is it was excess. It was stuff that they had that, you know, extra parcels of land that they didn't need, but they knew that the church could use those proceeds, so they sold that. The important thing is when it says that all of their, their possessions um, were their own, it reiterates this fact that, that people still own stuff. But when they were of one heart and of one mind, and they shared everything they had, it, it wasn't just monetary possessions. It wasn't land. It wasn't money. It wasn't even necessarily food, although they did share those things too. The important thing is what they shared was their inner selves. They shared with one another their feelings and their thoughts and their struggles. That's what they shared. That's what was important. Now, this story parallels our church both in the monetary sense and in the sense that we've tried to build a community here and share the same stuff with each other. 
one of the things they had in common were the teachings of Christ. That's, that's true. I, any Christian church that you come across has that. But not every church has in common the fact that we share with one another ourselves. As a matter of fact, that's been an issue with the church, capital C, for a long time. It's because we've kind of forgotten how to do that. Part of the start of Thrive was learning how to do that again. A lot of us came from other churches that didn't really have a grasp on community, that didn't really have a grasp on sharing with one another. And so over the past year, what we've done, if, if you've been with us, what we've done is tried to learn and try to teach each other how to do that thing, that thing again, how to share with one another. One of the first things we did is we looked at a book by a, an author named John Burke called No Perfect People Allowed. It was one of the first group studies we did. Um, and it's a great book. As a matter of fact, I have some extra copies at home if anyone wants to read it. It's, it's great. Um, John started a, a church called Gateway Church in 1998 down in Texas. And uh, a small group of, of what we call unchurched people, people who've never stepped foot in a church, people who didn't grow up in the church. He started with a small group of people, non-believers, people that were questioning atheists, the whole nine yards. And, and at the time of the writing of this book, Gateway was, was up to 3,000 weekly attendees. What we learned from this book is that you fellowship with people that sometimes in the past the church told you not to fellowship with. What this book taught us was that I'm not any better than you, you're not any better than me, and so I can fellowship with you, and I can learn about you, and we can build a community, and it's exactly what Burke did in Texas. He built a massive community of people who would just sit down and share with one another their struggles and their doubts and their concerns. And then we got to looking as a group about what's the next step? Like if I, if I love one another, if I, can, if I can be in community, I can share with people, and I, I know that I'm not, I'm not perfect, you know, and I want to share, who do, who do I share with? Like who's, who's that? And so we moved on to another book called The Art of Neighboring. Man. I'll share this one with you, too, if you're interested, but it is hard, I will tell you. Uh, because it's, it's talking about your literal neighbors. And one of the first things that we did in our small groups was sit down, and we, we drew out a grid about like this, a three-by-three three grid. And a spot where it says, you are here, that's where you are. And, and in our group, we, what we started doing was we started writing down the names of the people in the houses around us who was across the street, who lived behind us, who lived catty-cornered, who lived next door. Just one person. One person. Can you name the, you know, is there a dad that lives next door that you talk to? Sure. Yeah, his name's, uh, his name's... John. Sure. I borrowed a power tool from him once, you know? Um, and then it was, do you, know, do you know John's wife? Do you know her name? <clears throat> no, no, never, never talked to her. I, I, there's three kids over there. They have, they do have three kids. What are their names? <sighs> Not yet, you know. Well, how long have you lived in that neighborhood? <clears throat> two, 
two years? So for two years, what we discovered was some of us had lived, and I say two years because that's where I lived for two years, in a neighborhood where you didn't know the people around you. The next steps were even harder because it was, it was tell me something that everyone would know about them, something you could, you could glean from a bumper sticker or a shirt that they, oh, they, they, go, to, they go to Life Church. They, uh, or they've got, a, they've got a daughter, and she goes, she goes out there to Central High School. Or, oh, yeah, yeah. Now tell me something about them that you wouldn't know from just looking at them. And I'll tell you, I hands up, absolute surrender, that there wasn't a thing I could tell you about any of my neighbors that you couldn't glean from just passing by and talking to them. So through the course of this study, we set out several challenges to each other. Go talk to somebody this week. That's it. Just go talk. Somebody you haven't really talked to before, just go talk. So we go talk. As a matter of fact, through the course of the whole thing, my wife ended up striking up an amazing friendship with one of our next-door neighbors. Um, learned a lot about her. She's learned a lot about us. And it's, it's gained us a foothold in our neighborhood. We get introduced to other people that we didn't know before. So through the auto neighboring, what we, did, what we learned was that not only are we not perfect, but we're not perfect when it comes to knowing our neighbors either. And that, you know, <laughs> we want to focus on missions, but a lot of times we don't even know the mission field around us. Something as simple as, hey, how are you doing this morning? That's fine. But there's no deeper relationship there. When we look at the church, when we look at what that means to be a church, the, the word that Luke uses in, in Greek, and I haven't taken this yet, so, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, ecclesia um, has, <laughs> Dan, um, has, several, has several different connotations to it. Um, one of the connotations is to be called out. But the nuanced connotation that Luke uses a lot of times is to be called out together. See, a lot of times we go to a church where we don't have a lot of community, and then we do things like we'll hand out a tract or we'll try and share the gospel with somebody when we see an opportunity. But the truth of the matter is we don't have to do this alone. We have a whole community full of people that we can rely on, that we could share with. We just don't use it. So we're called out, we're called out together. One of, the, one of the nice things about learning about our neighbors was that uh, you, you kind of learn to trust each other. Um, around the time we were doing Art of Neighboring, uh, the, the children's ministry had sent out a little homework assignment for some of the kids, and it was just a little slip of paper, and it says, I want to let you know today, Jesus loves you. That's it. That's all it said. They had about six of them in a bag. And their assignment was to go around your neighborhood, pass them out. And so we did. I actually, if I say we, I, I think I took a nap. Um, Bree, uh, Bree took Henry around and dropped off some slips of paper. And it was about 10 minutes later, and our doorbell rang. And the little girl from next door came over, and she handed me a slip of paper, and she said, my grandma wanted me to give you this. So okay. So I opened it up and scrawled out on a piece of notebook paper. She said, I wanted, you to let you, 
I want to let you know I needed that today. I got a seven-year-old that handed a woman a piece of paper that told her that Jesus loves you. It changed that woman's day. This isn't hard. We just have to live in our communities. Just live. I look, at, I look at the studies that we've done, and I think there's a simple answer to all of this. Just live in community. <clears throat> I'll tell you, one of my favorite parts of living in community is getting together for a meal. Um, <laughs> I grew up Baptist, and so when we had a fellowship, we always used to joke, fellowship, of course, comes from the Greek to come with food. <laughs> um, what, what could we do that was simple, that would invite people into community? Let's just have them over for dinner. So our small groups are going to be starting a new study this month, as a matter of fact. I brought the books. The small group leaders want to meet with me after. I've got books here, and we can start. It's about a guy named Verlin Foster. And uh, Verlin Foster moved up to the uh, Pacific Northwest, home of the unchurched heathen masses. <laughs> I think he said, uh, I, we watched him speak live at a, at a, at a uh, conference, and he said somewhere around 80% of the, of the population of Seattle is unchurched and absolute atheists. And he said, so I went up there, and I was going to start a church, which was crazy. So what he started doing was he started having people over for dinner. Not a Bible study, not dinner in a Bible study, not, not dinner in a Bible movie, just dinner. And today, Merlin Fosner has a thriving church. He had people come over that didn't believe in Jesus, people that hadn't heard the Bible stories that most of us grew up listening to and was able to share dinner with them. And eventually they started asking him questions and he started answering the questions. And now he has a church. It's simple. It's simple. It's a simple way to live in community. Just have dinner. Just have dinner. I want to show you guys a video that, that underlines the simplicity of this concept. Um, this video was put together for the 150th birthday of Canada. And they had the same idea, was the, the best way to get to know people in a community that's as diverse and thriving as, as what Canada has in some places. The best way to do that is to have dinner. Watch this video. <laughs> what the world needs now is 
got to admit there's a little lump in your throat isn't there come on now be honest you're in church right hashtag eat together something very very simple um like james said this was uh, uh developed in canada and uh do, do i do i have a picture of the website oh yeah there it is um it was really kind of cool um by the way it was june 29th i wish i would have known that i would have been canadian for a day because you know it's really such a cool idea eat together um, we're on a mission to make the world a better place by sharing a meal. Just pretty simple stuff. Really like that. There's a moment in that video, though. I, I wonder if you caught it. Yeah, it took me a couple of times before I really saw it. But she walks in after being pretty much ignored by everybody else around her. <clears throat> and her roommate's sitting there, all plugged in, you know, watching the thing. And she takes the grocery bag and she drops it. Did you see that? No reaction whatsoever. She goes, kind of a thing. I love that moment. But, but it, the thought occurs to me that in that very moment, she had a choice. She had the choice to go into the other room, pull out the laptop, pull out the iPad, pull out the phone, maybe all three at once, plug into one of them, just like everybody else. She had that choice. But she didn't. Instead, what does she do? She starts drumming on the table, and an idea occurs to her, and so she starts cooking food. Recruits the roommate, drags the table out into the hall. And then there's another moment where she and her roommate are sitting across from each other. Now, they got room at their table. They got food at their table. They've got plenty of food for other people at their table, and they're looking at each other, and they're just standing, and there's this big sigh. There's this, like, is this going to work? There's risk there. There's a huge risk that they took to drag the table out into the hall. It's a big risk. strikes me as James was talking about, uh, about uh, kind of the history, there's always risk when you share yourself. Always. It's the risk that we take when we try to connect with another human being. What are they going to think of me? What am I going to think of them? Are we going to get along? But that's what community is. In fact, we have a saying among our staff that says, look, if church isn't messy, you're probably doing it wrong. It needs to be messy because human beings are messy people. But if we all start with that idea, if we start with the idea that you're just as screwed up as I am, that gives us common ground, doesn't it? Gives us something to say, well, that's okay. I'm still going to accept you. I'm going to love you because Jesus first loved me. Now, kids, if you're playing the little game with the, with the words, the bingo game, I just said Jesus. So you might want to circle that one on your as we were going through this whole process, I was thinking in my mind, this reminds um, me of the early church. And uh, James alluded to this because he read in Acts chapter 4. Well, I'm going to go back a little bit further. I'm going to go to Acts chapter 2, the very, very beginning. And let me, let me put this into context for you. You have this group of 12 men, 
And uh, there was a, a group of men and women who were kind of outside of that uh, group of 12 that kind of followed Jesus around. And Jesus, of course, had been, had been tried and crucified. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. And he appeared to his disciples on numerous occasions, and he said, I want you to stay in Jerusalem until you receive power from on high, until you receive the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, that's where we read about that event. And of course, the Spirit comes in power, and shazam, that's the David version, shazam, they were preaching the word, and they were talking, and Peter gives this amazing sermon. And, and here's what it says at the end of that sermon, right here. Verse 41, those who accepted Peter's message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. That's a lot of people, man. 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Now, here's the question, though. What'd they do? Because remember, at that moment in time, there's no Bible. There's no New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. In fact, it hadn't even been conceived yet. Yeah, they had the Old Testament, but they didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have the stories of Jesus other than what the apostles were talking about. And so what'd they do? How did they learn to be Christians? How did they learn to follow Jesus? Hmm. Well, fortunately, Luke, the author of this narrative, tells us. He, he gives us a, a sense of what's happening here. And here it is, the very next verse, verse 42. This is a pretty famous passage. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Now, I want you to think about that just a little bit. They devoted themselves. And, and the word that's used here it means commitment, but there's also carries with it this idea of practice. They, were, they gave themselves to these things. Remember how James was talking about this idea of sharing ourselves. They gave themselves to these ideas. Ideas, and there's four very simple ones. First of all, it was to the apostles' teaching because nobody had the Bible. They couldn't necessarily read it for themselves. They had to receive it from someone, and this is very rabbinic. This is the rabbinic tradition. This is where we come from. And there's this constant idea of, of sitting down and talking about, okay, what does that mean? How do I love my neighbor as myself? Oh, well, I've got this boss. His name's Phil, and he's driving me crazy, and I don't know how I'm supposed to love him, and and they would sit around and they would talk about these things. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, but they also devoted themselves to fellowship. From the Greek, meaning to bring food, remember? Just, you know, so they were totally stealing that. I love that. But they devoted themselves to, to not only the teaching, but to fellowship. That means meeting together, getting together, hanging out with one another. To the breaking of bread. Now, there's a, a bit of discussion about this. Some people think that this refers to uh, what we call communion, but it can also just mean eaten. Yeah, in the church, we have what are called eaten meetings. You gotta have the eaten meetings every now and then because then the belly Christians show up. Belly Christians come to church every single time when there's food. So, you know, eaten meetings. But, but it wasn't just the fellowship, it wasn't just the teaching, but also eating together, because something's so powerful when we sit together and we eat. Why? Because we're closer to one another, and whenever you're closer to someone, what happens is the level of your conversation changes. I can have a conversation with, well, not, it's not even a conversation. I'm up here, I am speaking, you are receiving because of the distance that we are from one another. 
But if we're sitting down and we're having coffee over a table, that's a totally different thing. Now at least we're having a discussion as long as we both participate. Does that make sense? So it wasn't just to the apostles' teaching. It wasn't just to the fellowship and the breaking bread, but also to prayer. Because how can you really get to know somebody and not pray for them? And you know that there are moments when the world is falling around, uh, falling apart in your friend's life, and the only thing you have to offer is prayer. And so they devoted themselves to these things, like, you know, I know what's going on in your life right now, I'm just going to pray for you. And and it's not just a negative thing. Remember, it's not just, well, I'm just going to pray the Lord will give you endurance. No, it was also joy. Praise God that that just happened today. That's the whole reason why we're here this morning is that we're praising God for a great first year. By the way, I want you to understand this. A year ago, we were almost half this size. We've doubled in size in a year. By the way, that's really, really impressive in church planting world. And I am so incredibly grateful for the growth of the trees and branches and pretty soon we're going to see some fruit, right? Oh. Somebody talked about that last week. I keep thinking about that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayer. Kind of sounds like a life group. Hint, hint, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Okay? This is what we do in our, in our groups. So we try to devote ourselves to learning what it means to follow Jesus, to hanging out with one another, talking about these things, eating, and of course, prayer. You know, I don't know how many times that we've come across, you know, come away from our, our life group and just said, whoo, we need to be praying for so-and-so this week. Sometimes we do it right there. But I find myself being prompted later on to do that. And I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think that's more church than this is, although I love this. But church is when we live life together and try to follow Jesus together when we share ourselves as broken, as marred, warts and all with one another. I think that's an important piece of all of this. Look at the next verse. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And by the way, this word awe, some of you remember me talking about this in the past, the word is phobos. It's where we get the word phobia, fear. There's this kind of sense of, oh my gosh, what's going on? They were filled with that kind of awe. And I want you to think about that because in, in some ways, I think the modern church today, because we have science and we have things, we, we kind of lost that sense of awe and the things that God is doing. And maybe it isn't signs and wonders, but could we come to church on Sundays because we're celebrating what God has done earlier in the week? Could we come to church with the idea in mind that we expected God to move this week and that we share that with one another so we can all go, wow. What did, what did God just do? What, what was that all about? Now, in, in some ways, um, for our, our Thrive Church staff, we do this every week. We ask three simple questions. What went right, or what can we celebrate? What needs improvement? And the third is, where's the God moment? Because if there isn't a God moment on Sunday, why are we doing this, right? We want to make sure that we at least acknowledge the fact when God moved. 
either on Sunday morning or somewhere in the previous week in the place that we could actually celebrate, something that occurred. Why? So we could be filled with awe. So we can actually acknowledge who God is and the things that he does for us. Luke goes on, verse 44 and 45. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Remember, uh, this gets fleshed out in chapter 4. James just talked about it. They were together. They spent time together, time in proximity to one another. They hung out with each other, and they had everything in common. And in some cases, that's all they had because they may have been disowned by their families. Very true story. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Don't get wrapped up in the idea that they're selling their property and possessions. Get wrapped up in the idea that they actually cared. And there's no way they could have learned about a need unless they had been spending time with them, right? You know, when you find out that there's something that you have that might be able to help a person out, it it makes it a whole lot easier to let go of it. But you're never going to know that until you've actually spent some time and you've learned about these things. And so the idea that's conveyed here is the fact that they cared for one another. They had to, in many respects, because of the circumstances and the time frame. It's important. But I also want you to notice something at the very end of verse 46. Let's read this. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, there's something that's tucked in here that I think is important that we spend some time discussing. And I want to say there's three spaces that's involved. First one is the temple courts. Now, in in ancient Jerusalem, the temple was the dominant feature. And daily there were prayers. In fact, there were prayers at certain times of the day. And if you were a good Jew and you were able to, you got to the temple in order to do your prayers. And that was worship. And on Saturday, you would worship. And worship was when everybody was together. It's the very reason why we get together on Sundays, is that we get together to worship because there's something, there's something about when the tribe gets together, isn't there? There's something about hearing the voices um, Dan and the team don't come up here to hear themselves. And you'll hear Dan say this all the time. Let me hear you, church. Because he understands, and we understand, that God inhabits, he dwells in the praises of his people. And so we get together so that God is with us. Does that make sense? And we do it together. So the, the temple courts, very similar to what we do on Sundays. Here's the other space. They broke bread in their homes. So it wasn't just about what happened in the church on Sunday, or in their case, Saturday. It's what happened in their homes. So they were still Jewish, and so they would participate in the Jewish sorts of things, but they also went back to their homes, and they ate together because of the conversation, and and they had a chance to figure out this teaching, and they did all of those things that we read about in, in verse 42. Right? There's a third one here that's a little more quiet, one that you don't necessarily grasp right away because it's not mentioned. This is that they ate together. 
Well, where did they eat together? How about at a table? They ate together at a table. It's another space. Because it's one thing to be uh, gathered in a home. And uh, let me see this. Let me, let me have that water bottle real quick. I'm not going to drink from it. But if you notice something, have you ever been to a party and everybody's got a glass in their hands? Maybe you've seen this before. And when you're at a party, you get your glass in your hand and you keep your glass between and everybody else, you and everybody else. It's a barrier. It's a social barrier. Hey, how are you doing? Good to see you. Hey, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, let's do golf. Yeah, how about that tea time, right? And we do this, and we have these parties, and you'll see it, watch. Every person I know has a picture in your picture collection with some colored Dixie cup looking at the camera going, hey, like this. Oh, be honest, I know you've got one. And that little Dixie cup, whatever it is, becomes your social barrier. And so we can have a conversation in someone's home and have that social barrier there, but there's something different when you're sitting at a table. Something completely different. Yeah, there's the barrier of the table and the food and whatnot, but you're sitting and you're eating and you're conversing and the level of the conversation changes and we get to know each other. And I think it's really important for us to to think very deeply about this, that it's not just at church, it's not just in the homes, it's also at a table where all of this takes place. You know, when... uh, we started uh, thinking about, about Thrive. We had some ideas in mind. And just recently, um, uh, James, in fact, uh, shared with me a quote that really kind of captures um, some of those ideas. It's one that we're going to adopt. Here it is. <clears throat> when you have more than you need, build a longer table, not a higher fence. Let that sink in. When you have more than you need, we live in the United States of America. We have more than what we need, most of us. And the idea here as a church, we have more than what we need. We have the source, the creator and sustainer of the universe. That's what we have. We have more than what we need. Our job is to build a longer table not to build a higher fence. And at the core of where Thrive Church has always been is to drag a long table out into the hallway, into the workplace, into the classroom, out into the middle of the street in your neighborhood, wherever it happens to be, so that we can invite more people to the table. Think about what that picture would look like. I think one of the things I enjoy most about that video that we watched is the fact that people were bringing out these little tiny tables that would fit in that hallway. And then the point was, is that, is it, okay, we need to get around this, and so we're going to angle that thing so that more people can fit in there, and I'm sure people are eating on the side, and, you know, that's, that's a cool thing when that happens because the table just got longer. And that's what we're about as a church is to, to build a longer table not necessarily higher fences or, or even higher walls. We gather on Sunday mornings because that's a cultural thing. That's what we do. It's Tulsa, Oklahoma. Sunday is, is something that people go into church. Or depending on your tradition, maybe you go into meeting, right? But the point is, is that we do this. It's Sunday. It's a cultural kind of thing. But 
It's just a celebration for what God has done around the table the rest of the week. The rest of the week. Church, for me, is Monday through Saturday. In fact, by the way, I haven't said this in a while. I'm just going to remind you that you no longer go to church. You are the church. We just gather together to celebrate. That's all this, this is, ultimately. So, quit going to church. Be the church. That's ultimately kind of what our message is around this long table. Be the church around your ever-expanding table. If you want to ever know if we're going to build some walls, and yeah, we probably will, let me tell you what the criteria is. The criteria to build walls, to build a building, is that when the table is longer than, than what we can handle outside of our own walls. When the table is long enough, we've got to build walls just to contain it. That's the criteria for it. Build a longer table. Put resources into the table, inviting more people to be a part of it. The early church, from what we can gather, cultivated the church around tables and conversations, not pews and programs. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't have pews and programs. I'm not suggesting that. But if we're going to cultivate something, and that's, that's the, the theme that we've been talking about for this for this Sunday, is cultivate. What are we cultivating here? We're trying to cultivate an environment for the Holy Spirit to do the things that only the Holy Spirit can do. And we cultivate that around tables and discussions. I think Jesus built his church through those kinds of things rather than just getting together on Sunday. Now, I love Sunday. I love being here. I love when y'all are here. This is a good time. But what's happening the rest of the week? How long is that table? How long is your table getting to be? It's a great question. We got a, a couple of tables here today uh, that I want to tell you about. The first one is actually out there. Uh, you passed it by because it originally had uh, bagels on it, but it doesn't have bagels on it anymore. It has dessert. We got some food for you. Um, and so I'm just going to invite you after service to come and eat some special dessert out, out there. You can go outside if you want to, um, but just to continue to have a conversation around, around that dessert table. Um, but, um, you know, there's some others that you can go and hang out at um, right at the entrance. I should invite you to do that. But there's another table that you might have noticed when you walked in. It's sitting back there. Just remember when Jesus spent his last moments with his disciples before his, his trial and his crucifixion. It was around a table. And he took the items that were on a table, very simple items like bread and a cup. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. And so we thought it would be really fitting on our one-year anniversary to remember the reason why we gather around the table in the first place. It's because of Jesus and what he did for us. There's this verse in, I think it's 1 John, if I remember correctly. It says, we love because he first loved us. The only way that you're going to be able to invite people to your table is to love. And really, to love means that you are loved. And so we remember that he loved us.